1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. It's also up on the screen here too. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard, which you have had since the beginning. This this old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. See, it's old, but it's also new. What's that about? Well, let's stay with me here. Yet, I'm writing you a new command. It, its truth is seen in him and you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is God's word. Driver's education. Um, We are in that driver's education era at the Bolting House. One down and one to go. And, you know, I don't know if you remember what it was like uh, when you were in that era, I mean, when you were actually in that era, when you were in driver's education, when you were a student in driver's education. But I remember that when I was, you know, Oklahoma growing up in the 70s, uh, and, you know, when I turned 15 and a half, I could, you know, I could take the written test, and when I passed it, I got my learner's permit, and I could slide behind the wheel with a licensed driver and just take off. I mean, I don't even think it had to be even a parent or a legal guardian. As long as you had your learner's permit and you had passed the written test uh, from wherever you could go to pass whatever that written test was, and then anybody in Oklahoma, you just sitting, as long as a licensed driver, you know, as long as that person had a license and a pulse, I mean, you you were good to go. And, uh, And then at 16... You know, then you take the road test, and then, and then you pass it, and then you're just, you can go. I mean, I could go, I could have gone to Oregon by myself uh, from Oklahoma, and, you know, but that was then. This is now. These days, you know, Illinois has, you know, they don't have a, they, they, don't, they don't have a cowboy version of the driver's education. They have a graduated driver's education program. That's what it's called. It's a graduated driver's license program. Phase one is the permit phase, and it, no earlier than 15, you, even at 15, you can start this process, but it has to be with you know, parental consent, a state-approved driver's ed course, and, and then 50 hours on the road. You've got to log that 50 hours, 10 of which have to be at night, and uh, you know, 
Only specified people in the car, limited number of passengers, no cell phones except like for 911 emergency, etc. And that's, that's just phase one. Phase two is the initial licensing phase, which means that's between 16 and 18, and parental consent just for that. And then there's nighttime driving you know, restrictions and, and no cell phones, you know, except for 911 emergency calls, you know. And then, and then phase three, see, then you get the full license. I mean, it's just a, it's a graduated program pretty much in Oklahoma. It was, you, you jump through a couple of hoops and they give you the keys to the car. I mean, but not here. And it's just a lot more complicated than when I was growing up. And for good reason, too, you know. I mean, there's more Americans and more cars and more accidents And everybody here in this room knows that there's a huge difference between taking the written test and passing the road test. Written test and road test. I mean, two different tests. It's one thing to ace the Illinois rules of the road, all right, but it's a whole other thing to know how to parallel park and to to know how to turn into a skid to know how to navigate the car should the passenger wheels get off the shoulder, you know, and how do you do that? I mean, when it comes to driving, there's book learning and then there's life learning, right? There's just a big difference. Just because you pass the written test doesn't mean you know how to drive, right? That's, that's true just not for cars, isn't it? It's, I mean, we could say that about careers, huh? I mean, at the U of I, there's the College of Education, and then after the U of I, there's the College of Hard Knocks. And that's why there's internships and apprenticeships and job shadowing and co-ops and student teaching, because they're trying to link, you know, true knowledge, true learning links what's learned in the classroom with the classroom of life, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's yeah, tell me something I don't know, Randy, but you know the point, don't you? You know the point, there comes a point. The whole point of this is that whether you're in your car or whether you're in your career, the whole point is to get to the goal where you just know how to do what to do. I don't know how many of you, how many of you were the drivers today coming to church? Okay, now I don't know how many of you, when you got in, you just, you know, when you got in the car, did you, did you, did you feel a certain angst about how it was going to go when you got in the car? I mean, did you feel yourself, you know, trying to wonder where the driving for dummies manual is? And, and did you, or, you know, and maybe the person next to you wish you had. I don't know. But I mean, you know, did you just, or did you just, did you do that? Or did you just get in the car and you go, right? I mean, well, probably we just kind of got in the car. We just turned the key and we went. Why? Because we just know. And you, and, and, and that's a good thing. If I'm in a car, that's a, if, I'm, if I'm the passenger in a car, I want that of the driver. If I'm in an airplane, I definitely want that of the pilot, right? If I go to my dentist, I don't want my dentist fumbling through the dentistry for dummies manual. I just want him to know. I just, I just, want, him, I just want him to know, to have that confidence. And, and, and to have that kind of confidence, that's, what the, that's, that's the merging of book learning and life learning and where you just know, and you know that you know, and it doesn't mean you know it all, doesn't mean you don't need continuing education, but it means you know what you know, and with that comes satisfaction and joy, because you just, there's this, the confidence gives you the freedom to go ahead and act and move, right? 
And the reason why I'm mumbling on about this is because what we're talking about is not simply for cars and careers. It's also for Christianity. It's also for being in Christ. Remember 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, I want you to know, so that you may know you have eternal life. I want you to have that confidence. I want you to have that confidence in your head, and I want that confidence to transfer to your heart so that there is, so that there's joy. 1 John 1, 4 says that I write this to make your joy complete, you see? And we learn in 1 John 1 that our confidence and our certainty and our joy is not in a, in, a, in a checklist, but it's in a person. It's in Jesus. Jesus, our advocate, our legal advocate, stands beside us before the Father, pleading his case on our behalf. It's his case. He's not pleading our case. <laughs> he's pleading his case. And he's saying, Father, Randy is my... My client, transfer my righteousness, my purity, because his sin was transferred to me on the cross. Transfer my righteousness to him. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just. Legally, God, according to his character, transfers the righteousness of Christ from my legal proxy, Jesus, to me. God treats me like he treats Jesus. Wow. And that's why we can be certain. We are certain we belong to God because we are certain about the Son of God. If you know Jesus, you know life. Question. How do you live in a way that shows you know? That make sense? How do you live in a way that shows you know? In other words, how do you know you know? Right? See, that's, the, that's what John is talking about here in verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him. We know that, well, how, how, how does that happen? Well, that's what 1 John chapter 2 is about. And 1 John chapter 2 says that there are three tests, three checks, three assessments, Three assessments, and, uh, and, and let me just tell you what they are so you know where we're going in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at just two of them this morning, but first there's the moral test, verses 3 through 6. The moral test asks, am I following God's word? The moral test. There's the social test, the social test. We'll look at that too today. That's, am I loving God's people? And then the doctrinal test, that's going to come later, am I trusting in God's son? So... These tests have to do with God's word, God's people, and God's son. And I want us to look at two of them today because they help us answer the question, here's how you can know, that here, so you can be certain that you're certain. And, and church, let me just tell you why this matters, all right? Can you still be a Christian if you don't feel confident about your faith? Can I, still be, can I still be a Christian if I'm not, if I'm not confident? You know, well, yeah, I guess you can. Yeah, you can still be a Christian without feeling confident, in your, but you're not going to be a very effective one. And you're probably not going to be a very fruitful one. 
And you're not going to be a very, probably a very persuasive one. Okay? You're, you're, you're not. I mean, you're going to find yourself worried and just uptight. And, who, and, and, and then who wants that? So we're, what we're talking about is very practical. Grandpa John, remember, he's in his 80s. He's lived the life. And so he knows he's, he's been, and especially in these uncertain times, our economy, the world, this is an opportunity for God's people to exercise confidence because of where their confidence is. And we can test that. We can test how we're doing. We can take a self-assessment through the moral and the social and the doctrinal test. Well, let's talk about the moral test here first. Am I following God's word? Verse 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We know. And then, and then do you notice here between verses 3 and 6, John uses the word know at least four times. Verse 3, we know we've come to know him twice there. The man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar. There it is. And then, and then look here in verse uh, 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 5. This is how we know. We, so John uses the word know. So why, do, why does he use that word in such a repeated manner? Well, remember, John is fighting heresy. Late in the first century, there were heretics who came, and, and they were called Gnostics. Think Da Vinci Code. There were Gnostics who, who began to teach that, you know, Inside your heart is a spark of divinity. The Gnostics said, well, you are God. You, not there is a God, but you are, you are God. And that your body is a jail cell that needs to be unlocked so that the real God in you. Am I sounding like Shirley MacLaine? Well, because it's 2,000 years old. If your body's the jail cell, then what you need is special knowledge that will unlock this. And so, can you imagine in our church, one of our small groups saying, well, you know, Jesus is good, but, you know, we've got, a, we've got, some, we've got some special mysterious information that we kind, of are, we kind of have, and it kind of makes us, you know, you all are special, but this group is more special. <laughs> See, but that's, that's a disaster waiting to happen, and that's what John was combating here 1,900 years ago. And so John says in verse 3, okay, you guys want to talk about knowledge? Fine. He uses their language to debate them. He says, here's what knowledge is. Knowledge is, verse 3, am I following God's word? Am I? Am I following God's word? Am I living God's word? Am I becoming righteous? And do you know why righteous living is a sign that you belong to God? Think about it. Righteousness is not natural. It's not. Right, right, righteousness comes from God because God is righteousness. God is light. Oh, some people act righteously, but even, even a, the worldly kind of righteousness is <laughs> it's kind of a selfish righteousness because, you see, I'm going to be righteous, but, but I'm expecting something from it. See? Well, that's not what we're talking about. You know, I'm going to be righteous, but deep in the back of my mind, it's because I want to get something. I'm given to get, right? There's a... There's a little bit of me in there. And, and John says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about following God's word because I love God. Isn't that why John says, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. We're talking about following God's word just because I just love. 
I just, I'm, I'm captured by the love of God, and I'm just going to fall. I was thinking about when Sarah and I were dating, and uh, you know, she would write me a letter. I'd get that letter, and oh, man, that was food. Food for my soul. I'd read that letter, and then I'd read it again. I just didn't read it once and tucked it away. I meditated upon it. Feasted upon it. I mean, I just didn't look for in information. I looked, I looked for, I looked for hints. I looked for clues. Things that, you know, when we were dating, she would, I would look for ways that I could please her because it pleased me to please her. It gave me pleasure to give her pleasure. It gave me more pleasure to give her pleasure than the pleasure that I got from just pleasing myself. I mean, it was just. You say, Randy, what happened? We got married. I mean, (laughs) you know. John says, look, do you love God? Just love him because you, for his own sake. Pleasing him, finding your pleasure in what pleases him. And realizing that whenever God asks us to do something, Whenever, whenever our Father asks us to do something, it's because He's good and pleasing and perfect. Or, you know, are we just trying to figure out an angle about how obeying His word will help our agenda? You see what I'm saying? Verses 5 and 6, I mean, John says, look, this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did, walking. Christianity is not a coming and sitting kind of thing. I mean, it is a getting up and walking during the week. And if you don't see yourself walking more and more as Jesus over time, we're kidding ourselves. Because if you know Jesus, if, when there's a relationship there, there's growth and there's change and there's progress. Your character's gonna change. Are there any changes going on in your life because of your walk with Christ? Do you find yourself more worried or less worried? More afraid or less afraid? More selfish or less less selfish? More self-controlled or less? More compassionate or less? More patient or less? Is is the fruit of the Spirit growing and blossoming in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience. And some of us, many of us here are, and it's beautiful to see. It's beautiful that there's more love, more joy, more peace. You're getting pleasure from giving God pleasure and It's an otherworldly kind of love. And that's why you know. That's why you know. And and some of us, sadly, have lost our first love. Some of us. And that's why we're just cranky and grumpy. You know, at Windsor Road here, those of you who are coming to the starting point class tonight, you you know, you're going to find it. We have a high view of Scripture here. We believe that the Bible is always true and never false. We believe that it's inerrant, that is without error, and it's accurate. And But here's the deal. It really doesn't matter what you believe about the Bible if you don't live what you believe about the Bible. It doesn't. You're here at church and, you know, you hear... Randy say, oh, we believe that the Bible's the inspired word of God, and you say amen to that, but then on your way home, you flip off the student driver who cuts you off in traffic. Well, whatever it is you truly believe about the Bible became very clear at that moment. You see? You see how practical John is? I mean, he just kind of lays it out. 
The moral test asks, am I following God's word? Am I? You want to know how you can know before you go to bed tonight? If you're married, ask your spouse. Am I following God's word? Will you speak truth in my life? If you're not married, ask your best friend. Ask the best, closest person to your life. And don't get offended when they speak the truth. Listen. The moral test is about following God's word. Are we? John wants to know. And then he says there's the social test. The social test asks, am I loving God's people? Am I loving God's people? Do I love the people of God? Do I love the people? Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Now, isn't that interesting that John uses the word I mean, several times here? Brother, brother. Why? Because he's not talking about your neighbor who's not a Christian. He's talking about your sibling in the church community. He's talking about the church family here. He's talking about your Christian brother and sister. That's who John's talking about. You know, the person you go to the same church with, all right? Look to your left, look to your right, look ahead, look behind. That's who John's talking about here. You go to the same, and when you go to the same church long enough, I promise you, you will have conflict. You will. I promise you, something will happen that will <clears throat> cause the, <clears throat> you know, person cut you off in traffic, it was a student driver, <clears throat> okay, that happened out there. You know what, you, you hang around Windsor Road here long enough. You hang around relationships, <clears throat> that <clears throat> will happen, you're just angry. And, and you see, John, John says brother because, you, I mean, you know, we, see, I, I've got, I've got, I've got unchristian pagan neighbors on Daniel Street, but I kind of tend to give them more grace because they don't know any better. But please hear me on this, and I need to hear this. Um, as I've said to you before, there are two groups of people that I find myself feeling the <clears throat> about most in life. Two groups of people. My spouse. Okay. And my staff. Yeah. I mean, when I do a, an audit, when I do an <clears throat> audit, that's the way it is in my life. What about your life? See, you know, they didn't meet some expectation, which I thought they should meet. John says, the Apostle John says, Grandpa John says, be careful, Randy, because living in the light means loving your church and loving the people in your church. Loving the people, it's not your church, Randy. Loving the people in Christ's church. And John says, this is an old, hey, this is not, this is, this is an old command. It's been around since Leviticus in the Old Testament, and it's also been around, since, it's, it's part of the message of the gospel itself. Did not Jesus himself say in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How we love one another is going to communicate to the folks outside the wall that that we are disciples of Christ. And, and so it's an old command, and yet it's a new command, isn't it? Now, why does he say that? It's a new command. 
Verse 8 says, because its truth is seen in him and in you. In him. Now get this, because this is, this is what's going to speak to us here, especially as we're remembering Jesus in communion. Listen to this. How Jesus showed love is so far beyond. Is his display of love is so unique so revolutionary, so radical that in a sense, it's, it's new because no one, no one ever waded through what Jesus did for love. No one, no one. You see, to everybody else, God the Father said, if you follow my word, I will bless you. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 28 is about. You follow my word and I will bless you. Follow my word, I will bless you. But Jesus was the only one whom the Father said, if you follow my word, I will crush you. To dust. You follow my word, I will pin you up to a Roman cross and bleed you out. Jesus Christ loved those who in their best deserted him and at their worst hung him on a tree. Jesus loved his father and his father abandoned him to the cross, but he did that for me because Jesus said, I will go to hell to love you, Randy. That's new. That's totally new. You see? But then John says it's true in him. And then he says, and in you. Doesn't he? Oops. It's true in him and in you. Why does he say that? Is John, isn't John telling us this, this is what you're capable of because of Christ? Do you understand that God holds us far more responsible for love than anybody else? Some of, you know, some, some of us, Christians, mind you, we, we think, you know, we think about that hurt we've been through. We think to ourselves, I could never forgive that person. I, I, could, never, I could never love that individual. I could never be Jesus to them. When in fact, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you live in the realm of light and love, yes, you can because you serve one who did. And it's his love flowing through you. You have resources to love in Christ that you didn't have before. And therefore you, listen, therefore you cannot be in the realm of Jesus and hate your brother. You can't. You, you can't be thinking about Jesus wading through an ocean of wrath for you and at the same time have anger fantasies about taking someone else's head off. You can't. I mean, it's either one or the other. And, and John learned this. John, the apostle John learned this from a rebuke by Jesus himself. Because this grandpa John was the same John who in Luke chapter 9, you know, verses 54 and 55, the disciples were traveling through Samaria. And the, at that time, the Samaritans did not accept them and threw them out. And listen to this. Is it up here? <laughs> but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, that's it. That's the apostle John. When, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Ah, <laughs> uh, Burn them up. I'll call. I'll, 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 I'll pray the prayer, Jesus. That's, that's, that's Grandpa John. Jesus said, no, 
Uh-uh, not going to happen. See, because you, you can't think about Jesus waiting through an ocean of wrath for you and at the same time wanting to take someone's head off. It just doesn't work. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You remember that gripping and haunting scene in The Godfather when near the end of the movie, Michael Corleone is in the church and he's there at the head of the church and he's acting as the godfather of this baby. During the baby's baptism, he's going through this religious ritual and the camera goes back and forth between Corleone's oath to rear this child in the fear of the Lord and yet while he's going through that liturgy, what's happening? Yeah, his hatchet men are murdering all the other mob bosses so he can consolidate his power. Oh, what a scene. No one could walk away from that scene and think, wow, Michael Corleone, he's a promise keeper. (laughs) Well, not that kind of a promise keeper. No one could walk away from that to say, well, Michael Corleone, what a believer. This guy's got potential in ministry. He could win people to Christ. No, of course not, because it's either one or the other. He's not in the light. He's in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. That's why John says, you know, he's stumbling. He's walking around in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going. The darkness has blinded him. What happens when you're in a dark room? What happens when you're in a dark room and you're in the basement of the utility room and the storage room and it's dark, you can't see, you bump into something, you flinch, right? I mean, it's not even that sharp of an object, but because it's there, you just, you're flinching. And, and you know what? Some people are like that spiritually. They're always finding fault, always criticizing, always constantly stumbling because of their unloving spirit. They're constantly running people into trouble. They're always being put out. They always see insults where insults don't exist. They're touchy, sensitive. They don't know where they're going because they're in the darkness. John says, you are in the light. You are in the realm of the light. And, And light, a realm is a region where an authority has controlling influence. To be in the light, and, and so to be in the light means that I'm under the controlling influence of Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you won't ever have tragedy. You, you, you do have tragedy. You do. But you see that the only real tragedy was the one that fell on Jesus. The only real tragedy would be separation from the Father. And when you're in the light, you not only see tragedy for what it is, you see success for what it is too. And real success is not money or fame or power. Real success is to live in the realm of God's love. And as a result, we have a purpose. And so we see differently. And and our eyes have been opened. and, And we're able to see sin for what it is. And we are able to see others who are in the darkness and and not be irritated by them, but to feel love for them because, because our eyes used to be in the darkness. And verse 10 says, there's nothing in him to make him stumble. So you either become like Jesus. Listen, you either become like Jesus or he becomes like you. Darkness or light. Some people say, well, I like to think of Jesus as a philosopher or as a great teacher. I like to think of him as this. Wait a minute, what is that? What do, you, what do you mean? You know, one of these days, my coffin's going to be right here. Lord willing, huh? And I'm going to be, my body's going to be in the coffin. People are going to be filing by. And I, 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 you know, 
people walk by, they see me, and then they, they, I'm buried, and then they go home, and then, you know, they talk about Pastor Randy. So, I, you know, I, I hope none of you walk by that coffin. I hope none of you say, well, you know, I know Randy's in that coffin, but I, I know Randy was a Okie from Tulsa who kind of had a twang and liked to play golf and was a pastor of our church for years and years. But, but I like to think of him as a six-foot-three bulging bicep kind of a stud muffin that was really smart and really cool. That's how I like to think of Randy. Well, okay, you can, but that's not me. Can I get an amen to that? Huh? Yeah. So when we say, I like to think of Jesus as, well, you know, (laughs) okay. But that's not reality. Reality is, is Jesus is the advocate who died to bring us to God. And he wants us to follow, follow the word, follow the word, and love his people. And I want you 